0: This morning, we talked with Honolulu Mayor Rick Blangiardi about a number of issues, including the recent police-involved fatal shootings. One case involved a 16-year-old Micronesian youth, and the second, a man who had just arrived in the islands from South Africa. But the selection of a new police chief is top of mind, as Chief Susan Ballard recently announced she's stepping down in June. We asked if it was time to recruit from beyond our shores.
1: I believe that we should cast as wide a net as possible with respect to our recruiting efforts. I think we owe that to the city and county. Uh, the people of this city uh, that we select the very best person we could find. Now, personally, my preference would be to find somebody internally, um, but I think in any recruiting effort, uh, we want to identify what it is we need in the way of our new chief uh, from the standpoint of skill sets, experience, et cetera. And so uh, I want to exhaust any and all resources uh, to that end. But that said, let me be clear, this responsibility actually belongs to the police commission uh, with respect to the hiring decision. I've only asked if I could help recruit, interview, do whatever I can, be a, be somebody who's done a fair amount of um, senior-level hiring, if I could get involved in, on, on really the peripheral to, to try to help.
0: You did put in a name of a former police officer, uh, and uh, that name was withdrawn last week. Uh, where are we at with another replacement
1: well that was for the commission and i've said all along and this goes back uh really a number of months prior to my even being sworn in that uh if we had an opening on the commission i would really like to see a retired police officer and i thought that candidate uh had extensive experience uh with the police department uh, because of circumstances they withdrew their name i have put forth another candidate who's a retired police officer but not from hawaii uh he 20 years with the east chicago police department has been living in hawaii for over 25 years highly regarded person in this community and we'll see where that goes but i actually think uh that if we could have somebody who could bring that experience and that empathy if you will um, to the commission it would be a great perspective
0: can you share his name
1: sure his name is larry ignis
0: and uh had you uh had conversations with him before, uh, prior to taking it, over as mayor. He'd been recommended
1: to me, uh, by a number of people whom I like and know in this community. I've talked with Larry. I've met with him. I obviously interviewed him. I was very impressed with him. He's mature. Uh, he brings, um, a lot, a, a lot of experience and love of this place and knowledge of the city. Obviously he's been here for living ever since he retired. Um, but that said, uh, you know, uh, The vetting process is really really good on the commission, and I think that uh, we'll we'll see how this goes. But I think that um, Larry's going to do quite well.
0: And you had been meeting regularly with uh, Chief Susan Ballard uh, weekly just to get a better feel for, you know, what was keeping them up at night. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. You know, I I don't have direct, um, which I didn't know, to be honest with you, coming in, uh, the level of... uh, uh, supervision if you will uh, of the mayor with the police chief per se they were really clearly spelled out to me uh, so once i understood that i thought okay this is a great opportunity though know, to get to know them uh, from the standpoint of what resources i could possibly do to help them uh, what they needed what they were thinking about as you just said you know what kind of kept them up at night so if i could be that resource to work with them and at the same time down low talk about issues that were of concern to me with respect to things like homelessness and uh, other kinds of crimes uh, you know it was a was a great uh, consult that we, we were doing that weekly
0: we have had two police related fatal shootings in two weeks and uh, uh, you know I, I know they still have yet to release uh, uh, a lot of the reports and you know some of the additional f- police cam footage uh, but w- what are your thoughts about those cases
1: well, they're tragic to say the least, you know, and I, I don't have the details uh, because I had actually requested a briefing and I've yet to receive one specifically. So I'll be very honest with you. Uh, as of this morning in this interview, I have yet to hear from Chief Ballard, even though I had called her uh, a couple of times this weekend uh, in order to best, you know, represent HPD. I felt it was her, her place to let me know. But um Oh, that said, my feelings are obviously tragic, very different circumstances. I did watch the video from the body cam of the uh, the last um, shooting and I just wish that things like that wouldn't happen.
0: There have been, I guess, criticism by some in the community that uh, chalk it up to uh, police inexperience, that they didn't get proper training in identifying themselves you know, on the scene in that one Nu'uanu case. Oh, where the where the suspect was uh, was sitting in the car, thoughts on that? Well,
1: no, I would, I'll be honest with you. I have really no comment on that uh, from the standpoint that again, I haven't been fully briefed by officially by H P D, and I think in my role as mayor and 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 to the credit and the integrity of the men and women of H P D who put their lives on the line every day, absent really a formal briefing, I don't want to speculate on anything about about either one of these events.
0: There was some call uh, about uh, putting in people in the commission that represent the community, whether it's a Micronesian or someone that was representative uh, just of the cross-section of our island. Uh, What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I would say this. I just tried to put a candidate in who had been on the force for 29 years and 9 months. Prior to that, had spent 11 years in the Army with the uh, military police who works for security at First Hawaiian Bank who got glory recommendations from the CEO and he was Hawaiian and, and that wasn't going to fly. So I'm going to come back again to what I just said about the chief of police and that is I want to put the very best person. I'm not looking for, to bring in somebody from any ethnic group necessarily. It's the very best person. I happen to know Larry Ignis has a really great background, um, And, you know, given the circumstances, that's my focus and who would be the best person with the best qualifications as opposed to some set, some subset of our population.
0: And switching gears here, today is the first time that we will be uh, allowing uh, residents 16 and above uh, to sign up for the vaccines. Uh, Thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, I'm very pleased. We've, we've, you know, done quite well uh, in our ability to distribute the vaccines. And, you uh, know, just last week, there was a headline, we had a million, and we have a capability right now with the, um, you know, with, with with all the resources that are there to do well north of 125,000 vaccines a week. Um, but we don't have that kind of supply, and especially now with the recent J&J uh, pause, if you will. I do think that that will come back on the market. It, it may be of some concern to some people, uh, we'll see how it gets presented but at the end of the day Pfizer Moderna, and Moderna and the supplies that we've had if, uh, last time I checked we were in the top 10 of um, all the states as far as percentage of population vaccinated and I'm really pleased that we're making the kind of progress we're making
0: with the lowering of the age I know the one thing that popped up in my mind was you know the move to uh, start allowing uh, more sports uh, and uh, you know we did have the university of Hawaii football team go back into practice. And after a week, you know, they, they had a, a little cluster of COVID cases. Uh, you know, are you worried about what we might see out on the field with, you know, ASO and little league?
1: No, I'm not actually, because, you know, all along, I think our the kids have paid a phenomenal price at being held back from, from being able to compete. We're going to hope that the adults behave like adults. We don't have spectators. Uh, but if you look at the instance, again, I'm not a I'm not an epidemiologist, but I've watched and listened and read a tremendous amount on this. I think now that we can have our kids go back and even back in school, I'm not I'm not worried about them becoming clusters. What happened up at the UH is a very different deal, and those are young men a little bit older. Uh, but I think you since you mentioned AYSO or Little League or any of those kinds of sports, I I think we're going to be just fine. And. You know, we don't have any plans on vaccinating kids at this point. I know there are trial studies going on under the age of 16, and all of these children are under the age of 16.
0: Right. I mean, I just know driving around, uh, you know, our, our local parks, uh, you know, you do see a number of of uh, organized sports, you know, out there in the afternoons. Um, so I guess we just have to hope for the best and, and uh, I guess remind people that they have to keep yeah. their distance and, and wear their masks.
1: Well, yes, well, we have to hope for the best. And again, it's the adults. You know, we've asked for no spectators, uh, which, you know, it's very difficult. I understand having been a parent, had three kids go up, uh, you know, playing sports and remembering all those years and all those fields and whatever. But right now, for the time being, um, that's the way it is. But, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence here. We do want to hope for the best. But we're in a very different place. And I'm really pleased as of April 18th where we are with the amount of people we have vaccinated in this state. And as I just said earlier, what our capability is and is what we're seeing right now, even on a global basis, the efficacy of the drugs, Moderna and Pfizer, are tremendous. And for that matter, so is J&J until they had the blood clot issue. So I think when you look at the percentage of our population that we're vaccinating and projections on a going-forward basis week by week, if not day by day, We get better against this disease and so i think we're trying to get on with our lives here and now is a good time i was really pleased when the department of health allowed us to get our kids back on april 12th and we got our schools back on march 22nd and we're just trying to go into the future here and put our lives back together
0: i know the johnson and johnson vaccine rollout had included uh, clinics or outreach for the homeless population uh, yes because now you know, that they're substituting out in various clinics. Uh, uh, are you suspending any of the uh, additional, I guess, compassionate disruption uh, schedules at all?
1: You. Well, you asked me if we're suspending. Right now, what we're doing, uh, and we have another being here today, we're, we're, really, we're really pivoting on how we treat our homeless. So the compassionate disruption program didn't work. But we are right now still, in certain cases, doing sanitation pickups, if you will, uh, with respect to health-related concerns or, for that matter, security concerns. Uh, And so we are doing it, but not with with the notion of what was happening before, which was simply moving people around. We're we're changing our entire strategy. We're setting that up. We've done pretty good. I think that's why tremendous confidence, and Anton Krocchi suggests you interview him sometime to talk about his vision and what we're doing and how we're starting to execute.
0: But was there anything scheduled, let's say, this week with Johnson & Johnson that you're aware of uh, where you know you might have put the pause on disrupting some of those campsites? Oh,
1: no, not, 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 to, not to my knowledge, no. Uh, nothing uh, that I'm aware of in, in that regard. I wasn't part of that. We don't have that strategy. I think that um, the reason why we like the J&J, homeless population and certain other populations – is that the one shot It makes it really feasible. Uh, again, with the efficacy of the drug being as good as it was, we felt that that was our best opportunity. But one of the good news things I should say is that I saw a piece of research recently. Hawaii is so far above the national norm. Um, this is a big study that was done locally that 91% of our people are the age of being able to be vaccinated or want to be vaccinated. That is so far beyond the national norm on the mainland. And so, you know, we're trying to do that with a, with a community that's very much cooperating and then in cases where it doesn't seem feasible to get a two-shot model in there the one shot we can get that to get these people at least one dose uh, would be a real a real plus and earlier our concern about the homeless has a lot to do with their own help and and try to provide for the least or the most vulnerable uh, in our community
0: well hopefully we will learn more on friday when the cdc meets Uh, but thank you so much for your time mayor
1: Captain, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. All the best.
0: This is the conversation on statewide member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your backyard quiz. Onihoa, <laughs> In today's Backyard Quiz, we're testing your knowledge of local doctors. Well, sort of. If Dr. Daniel Kalani is the name that sounds familiar, it's because he was a character played by legendary actor Richard Chamberlain in the uh, late 1980s. Do you you remember uh, another doctor he played, Dr. Kildare? Well, Dr. Kalani was a prominent internist who returned to to Hawaii to give back to the culture that he was raised in. He practiced at the Kamehameha Medical Center, a fictional hospital set in Honolulu, while he navigated his relationships with his adoptive parents, his 18-year-old son, and his love interest, a high school drama teacher. Unfortunately, Dr. Kulani's stay in our islands was short-lived. The television show he was the star of only lasted 19 episodes. With such a short run, we thought it might be a challenge to tell us the name of the series. But if you know it, give us a call. 941-3689 9413689 or 8779413689 the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right
2: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareed Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits offering community-based programs, including vaccinations, to help keep families safe from COVID, such as the Filipino Community Center, nareedhawaii.com.
0: Dr. Lauren Pang is with the Department of Health's office on Maui. The Valley Isle was to offer the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at a mass clinic this past weekend and also at Maui College this Wednesday. But because the Centers for Disease Control put the pause on its distribution, officials switched it out to the Moderna vaccine. We wondered if the change affected the appointment schedule.
3: First of all, uh, Johnson Johnson, I call it JJ, it came on uh, quite recently after Moderna and Pfizer.
0: And apparently
3: we thought a lot of people wanted that, it's a single shot, and it's a little more classically developed, not the uh, uh, high-tech mRNA vaccine. So we thought a lot of people wanted that. So when it came on board, we gave some of it, and it was pretty well accepted. And then we got some more, and we scheduled uh, about a week ago, Saturday, uh, about 10 days ago, we scheduled a special clinic of just Johnson Johnson. It was up country. Uh, at the um, high school cafeteria, and it was on Saturday morning, okay? So that clinic, the appointment filled up so quickly, as opposed to the other clinics, Central Maui, Moderna, and week, uh, work, working hours. So we didn't know why it filled up so quickly, so we laid on a kind of quick and dirty survey of all the people who came, and we asked them, what's the main reason why you're here? And it was for the Johnson Johnson shot, okay? About 90% said, it's the JJ. I wanted it, one shot. But we also asked them, if we didn't have JJ, would you still come? And about two-thirds said yes, uh, both for the convenient place of country and for the convenient hours. Within two days, we lost Johnson Johnson. It was put on a hold. Knowing what we did in our quick and dirty survey, we said, well, just switch them out switch them out to Moderna, you know, people continue to come, yeah, we continue on, and we hope that someday JJ might come back and that extra third that wanted JJ will come back to it. Mm -hmm. We were holding JJ for the people you only see once, say the homeless groups. And so uh, this past Friday, three three calendar days ago, we did continue to vaccinate the homeless groups, but now switching to Moderna
0: and so you were to have another clinic i think wednesday at maui college with johnson yes. and johnson so have any of those appointments dropped off
3: no we did notify them that we had to switch to Moderna. but coming up wednesday i think is our off hour the first time we're traveling central maui uh, kind of like late afternoon to early evening maybe it's more convenient you know for their um to come and get a shot so you got three things playing at once the location the time and J.J. or not. So it's kind of hard to tease out what's what. We always have now low appointment filling. Like right now we have 20% of the appointments filled, but it's only Monday, and a lot of people kind of get on last minute. and I don't know. Just, I, I don't know. Maybe they're hoping J.J. will come out, but it's not, probably not going to by Wednesday.
0: I think I was uh, one of those that wanted Johnson & Johnson, you know, one and done in my mind. But then when my appointment came up, you know, I ended up getting Pfizer, which was fine. But now you talked about the homeless that you had inoculated a group with Moderna. So you'll have to reach back out to those folks for that second shot.
3: Yes, but but when we do the homeless, there were two options to go to the camps. You may never find them again because the camps keep moving around. But we chose to go kind of the low-hanging fruit, the gatherings. So we went uh, with the uh, Salvation Army. They they have the lunch. And are backed up by the uh, police department have a kind of an auxiliary help retrofitted bus. Mental health issues, uh, packets, you know, soap, toiletries. The police routinely do this on Maui because they cannot have their routine officers involved with crimes repeatedly called up by homeless issues. So the police were there, Salvation Army was there, the UH College of Nursing was there, and then, you know, we didn't get a whole lot, but this is the first time that they went there. And then, of course, we have to go back. We kind of don't mind going back for the second shot because that drums up business for the first shot. So it's not a big deal, second shot.
0: How are you trying to allay any fears that folks might have about the pausing of J.J.?
3: First of all, they should know that the system is in place to pick up that kind of subtle uh, increase in in rate of uh, side effects. Then we trust that the feds are going to look at this quite carefully. We know the numbers. You can tell the numbers, what, six out of six million. But yet, if they say, but it's an unusual, specific case, fine. Then we can screen patients or ask them about those specific things. Yeah, there were women- with low platelet counts, I guess routinely checked for other reasons, but that number—six uh, out of six million—it pales. First of all, we got a lot of experience with Pfizer, and Moderna. We haven't seen that kind of thing, and Moderna must be approaching 100 million doses. Okay, those numbers kind of pale compared to the other issue, which we raised now—the medical issue, long COVID. Long COVID looks to be very, very more common than six out of a million. In fact, they're pegging it at, say, 20 to 30%. People with infections, they have ongoing COVID, and a lot of them don't clear after maybe 12 weeks, and they go on and on. Let's say 30% continue to have ongoing COVID for up to 12 weeks. Of that, two-thirds, which is like 20%, might continue on beyond that for another four or five months. And then after four or five months, a third, 10%, will continue on and it will change their lifestyle.
0: So you believe that's so, uh, a big reason why oh, people should yes. get the vaccine because the long Absolutely. COVID uh, severity, I guess, we're, we're learning so much more and you don't want to go there.
3: Yes, and we don't even know what causes it, and we don't know the symptoms, you know, sleep sleep disorders, brain fog, weakness, shortness of breath, headache, low-grade fever, gastrointestinal, this kind of smattering of symptoms. Uh, first of all, you think, well, it can't be real. It's hysterical. No, I think it's pretty clear now it's real. And the smattering of symptoms all over the board suggests not an infectious thing, but an immunological thing. And the people who continue on 10%, they just keep wondering if they're gonna get better. A lot get worse. And the age group now they're seeing it is young adults up to age 50. So it's not the old guys who go on ventilators and recover or die. It's these younger groups that they thought they were pretty okay, but it affects them in the long-term. There's three reasons why we should kind of get a vaccine now. Okay. I will admit, I'll be the first to admit, we really don't know the long-term effects of vaccines, because they've only been out, what? Nine months. Do you know the one-year long-term effects No, we don't. It is a little bit unusual for a vaccine to present long-term effects. Okay, I can name a couple, but that's very esoteric. But six out of six million versus 20 to 30%, you don't know the long-term effects of long COVID. So that's first reason. And I think the medical people should get involved because long COVID is a medical issue. It's raised by the NIH, by Harvard, by Oxford, Falsy mentions it. Everybody talks about it. We don't know what causes it. We don't know how it's going to get better. There's all kinds of people grasping, oh, just get a vaccine, get any vaccine. I don't think that's been proven. But people are so desperate and worried about it. It's a big issue. So two other issues. The other is more public health, herd immunity. Initially, when we had normal COVID, I think Angela Merkel from Germany, she goes, whoa, uh, 70% of us need to be vaccinated kind of control this from this outbreak from growing. And I think the U.S. at that time said 66%. But, you know, she would know best. But now it's more than that. It's Probably 85% need to get vaccinated fully to control the spread. Why is that? Because the variants. The variations are spewing forth as the virus goes out unchecked.
0: Right. And they're more infectious. Some of these variants are more infectious. Yes. In fact, that's
3: One of the concerns, right? And some are more severe, another concern, and some might dodge a previous COVID infection, second infection, or might dodge the vaccine someday. So the ones that are more infectious are the ones that spread faster. So right now in Maui and Oahu, you have the California variant. That is probably 20 to 30% more infectious than normal COVID. You have the UK variant, probably 55% more infectious. And then the UK has, what, 60% more severity. Then you have the Brazilian variant, P1, coming out of Brazil. That's probably 250% more infectious than normal COVID. In fact, it's so infectious that it travels the world. They discovered the Brazilian variant in Japan by Brazilian travelers.
0: Do we have any here? No. Not yet.
3: But we are very close because read where the Brazilian variant is in British Columbia, Whistler, the international ski set. In the mm. winter it's like a cruise ship. Close right. quarters, people sharing things off the mask. You watch it explode in British Columbia and in Ontario.
0: So we need to Across. be on guard.
3: Absolutely. We get uh, Canadian visitors all the time. Okay. And I guess some of them are asymptomatic and not a whole lot of them have been vaccinated.
0: Right. And and, so and, and if more comes. people if more people get vaccinated, you know, there's talk about the passports, but then that would also then give you some more reassurance if you do end up traveling uh that yeah
3: some protection okay so that's the third reason right right? second reason is increased herd immunity right third reason might just be convenience Mm. which is not really public health and it's not really medical but uh, if you get vaccinated very soon it might count as something to travel
0: We were hearing from Dr. Lauren Pang with the Department of Health on Maui talking about the reasons why you should get vaccinated. The CDC is to meet on Friday to discuss whether to give the Johnson & Johnson vaccine the green light or to keep it on pause.
2: Support for HPR comes from Pro Service Hawaii, whose team is committed to helping businesses overcome the challenges of HR today, proservice.com slash hrexperts, or by calling 808-207-7634.
0: The Beats reality check segment today focuses on a state contract with an addiction treatment program that has been raising eyebrows. Editor John Hill joins us this morning. Hi, John.
4: Hi, Catherine. How are you?
0: Good. Now, this story is an update to something that you broke a while ago. Yeah, I
4: have written a number of stories about Sand Island Treatment Center about different aspects of the operation. Um, and this one was about uh, a contract that they recently tried to get from the state.
0: Now, uh, tell us about this uh, this organization, this company, and, and, and why it's in trouble again.
4: Well,
1: Sand Island has
4: been around since the 1960s. Um, it's considered to be an uh, essential component, I guess, of the state's strategy for dealing with drug and alcohol addiction, especially uh, courts refer, refer defendants to the Sand Island Treatment Center. And I think there were um, more than a couple of hundred per year that are being referred to treatment there. Um, I've I've written about the exorbitant salaries, especially the executive director at Sand Island uh, was paying himself at one, or the the organization was paying him at one point um, more than $500,000 a year, which was far beyond what other rehabs in Hawaii pay their executive directors. A lot of the counselors there were making a lot, uh, well into the six figures, too, which is maybe three or four times the going rate. Yeah, I for, remember that alcohol. because
0: yeah. $500,000, I mean, that's more than the governor and the mayor, more than the, the heart executive director makes. I mean, that's a lot of money.
4: Yeah, and after that story, it turned out that the um, attorney general had asked Sand Island, to, or they'd made an agreement with Sand Island for the top pay of the executive director to be limited and for him to return some of that money But it wasn't until they asked about it after my story ran that they found out that that money hadn't been returned and there's some other things they had promised to do hadn't been done.
0: And so this latest development with this company, I mean, they were supposed to uh, put in another uh, uh, application, right, Uh, for the state contract? Yeah,
4: they bid bid, uh, for the State Department of Health. Uh, They do this every couple of years, I think. Um, It's a big sort of omnibus contract where a number of different substance abuse provider, treatment providers get money to, to, to provide um, substance abuse treatment for two years, and one of the bidders was Sand Island, um, and they, as, as they've they been getting these contracts for some time, and they, they bid, and um, unfortunately, their bid came in late.
0: So why did they get the contract? Then?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the question I had. Um, I had heard that this had happened and, um, and and saw that they had been awarded $2 million over two years. And what happened apparently was that they should have been disqualified because they turned in a late bid. But somehow or another, they sent out a revised um, RFP, request for proposals, and they sent it by mistake. I'm told, to Sand Island, and then Sand Island was allowed to bid, even though they should have been disqualified because their original bid was late. So they sent in an addendum or, you know, a revised proposal, and it was accepted. Um, But then the state found out or or made this discovery that, that this had been done in error and had to take the money back.
0: Well, it certainly does raise the question, you know, whether there's just this cozy relationship Uh, With the department uh, in that it would just uh, you know allow things to continue
4: It does raise that question It certainly um, I wondered about that and um, When I talked to the Department of Health, they said no, they didn't think that was true Um, But I did talk to experts in this type of contracting who who said you know this? Series of events does make you wonder if it was done as a favor to the contractor. It certainly raises the question I don't have any proof of that, but it, it, it does make one wonder.
0: Okay, so, so where are we at with the contract? So the state awarded it, took it back, and then what? That's right.
4: That's, yeah, the money has been taken back, and um, it, it's actually a, a fairly significant fiscal blow to the Sand Island Treatment Center because last time I checked, their annual revenues were a little bit more than $4 million a year, and this was a, a million-a-year contract. So that can't be good for them, and they are, as I say, considered essential. They're used a lot by judges. Consider the program to be the best in the state. Some judges do, and they refer a lot of defendants there. I'm not sure what the impact will be on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it is a much-needed program, and so you wonder about the disruption to uh, the clients.
4: Yeah, and I don't know because Sand Island is is a unique program. It's not unique, but it's one of only two in Hawaii. It does these kind of very intensive two-year programs. And for, for people who, are, who have very entrenched addictions, that's, um, you know, uh, the kind of program they, they probably need. And, mm-hmm. um, and now that, that they're taken out of the mix, uh, that could have some effect.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, John. Good story.
4: Thank you, Catherine.
0: That was uh, Civil Beat editor John Hill with today's reality check. You can read his story about the San Island Treatment Center at civilbeat.org. wonder if it's normal to forget names places and where you put your keys i'm dr kathleen kozak join me today on the body show we'll talk to an expert on the latest in testing to determine if it's just a normal course of aging or a sign of some bigger trouble ahead that's today at 6:30 on the body show Our Talk Back line is an opportunity for listeners to leave us feedback and other comments about the stories that we air. Here's one comment from a listener on Hawaii Island about some of the terms used during a recent story about vaccinations.
1: This is Carl from Kapoho College. Um, Thank you for your radio shows. Uh, I'm just going to make a point. Maybe I'm the only one in a million that really cares about such a thing. But I wonder. I doubt it. I think a lot of people resent, as I do, hearing us, the people, being referred to as arms. We want to get the vaccine in the arms and get the jabs in the arms, and we want to get the the over and over and over arms arms. No, please. Every time you say that, I turn the radio off.
0: Um, I'm not arm. I'm a person. So if you want to say get the vaccine in the people, that makes sense.
1: Thank you. Aloha.
0: And thank you, Carl. And Jerry from Kona sent us this email about the interview that we aired with Lori Kaikina, the Heart uh, Executive Director, on uh, April 15th. Uh, he writes, your interview with Lori Kahina of Heart was excellent, very organized and flowing. It provided a wonderful update on the issues, concerns, costs, etc. Uh, great questions. And your guest was informed and willing to respond. Thank you. And Nobu from Aiea sent us these thoughts on tourism and the impact that illegal rentals have on housing. Over the last couple of days, you presented a few interesting data that tied together seem to tell us that our tourist industry is already pretty close to our legal capacity. In addition, according to Rick Egged, prior to the pandemic, many restaurant workers were from the mainland. That suggests that our 2019 level of visitors, over 10 million, was too big. When tourism gets so big workers need to be imported, it's too big. At that point, our beaches, trails, and parks just aren't crowded with tourists. They're also crowded with workers brought in to serve those tourists. Put all of those together, and that suggests that we as a state don't need to adopt policies that trade off, making it even easier for tourists to come here against reduced levels of controls over importing the COVID-19 virus. The data say we're already at nearly as high a level as we can support. It also suggests that illegal vacation rentals are continuing to our housing shortage, not only by directly converting residential housing from that market, but also by having some of the remaining housing stock going to house mainlanders here to serve the tourists in the illegal vacation rentals. Thank you so much, Nobu. Very thoughtful. If you have a comment on a story that we air, call our Talk Back line, 808 792 8217. You can also email us at talkback at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. For today's Backyard Quiz, we were asking for the name of a show that first aired on CBS in 1989. After lasting 19 episodes, it was canceled in 1990. It starred Hawaii resident Richard Chamberlain in the role of Dr. Daniel Kalani, his first role in a television series in 25 years. His character was an internist who, after years of practicing on the mainland, returns to Hawaii to give back to the state where he grew up. Several Hawaii actors and prominent local celebrities were featured in roles. Clyde Kusatsu, Michael W. Perry, and Kimo Kahuano were among them. The show was a mid-season replacement, which some television critics believe was the reason for its short run. But if you were a regular TV watcher in the late 80s and early 90s, you'd know we are talking about Island Sun. And congratulations to Patty Moore from the North Shore. Uh, she tells us that her twin daughters were on the show as infants and are all grown up. Well, that is today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at HoyPublicRadio.org. Asset School celebrates 65 years serving students with its programs focused on gifted youngsters and those with dyslexia and other special needs. Like other schools, it's been challenged with the pandemic and reduced enrollment, but is working to provide more financial aid to those in need. We talked to Ryan Massa, head of Asset School, about rebounding during this health and economic crisis.
5: We did start. Pretty much as planned. We, unfortunately, like everybody, you know, we were trying to open school in the middle of August when the state was, was spiking with numbers, but we were able to have our youngest kids come back on day one, and then we were bringing everybody else back in a matter of days or weeks. We were kind of phasing in the reentry because there was just so much to learn for everybody else to learn about how we had to, how to operate school in, in the pandemic. And so we were pretty much back um, with everybody by mid-September, early to mid-September. And then we still have a handful of kids in distance learning, really small number, who for their own health reasons or for the health reasons of their family, you know, have chosen to, to stay at home right now. So we've pretty much, been, like I said, been in person the whole year. And it's I just need to start by thanking our teachers and our maintenance staff, you know, who have just been incredible this year, making sure that everything is clean and sanitary and healthy and, you know, giving kids reminders and is making sure that we all take care of each other so we've learned a lot the good news is that we've been able to be in person and together and especially for our kids that was so important for their for their learning
0: so were you folks able to get your teachers vaccinated early on
5: we were really fortunate we were as engaged as we possibly could with any with the health department and in and, and the hospital systems and anybody who was responsible and so we had teachers go to pier Two, and we also had teachers who went to the blazedale And we we were helped helping connect them to any available openings. And our vaccination rate amongst the faculty is over 90%. It's super high. It's only maybe one or two people who, for health reasons, you know, can't can't get the vaccine right now. And so that feels really good. I think that was obviously a, a relief for everybody in the community to know that our most frontline heroes and workers, our teachers, uh, were, were vaccinated.
0: How has the distance learning been? You know, because for students with, say, special needs, I'm sure that's just an extra challenge. I
5: think distance learning, at least at this point now, has become such an individual story. So you know, you're right. I think for a lot of our kids, it's it was really hard. You know, they they learn differently. That's um, why they come to assets. They really thrive being face to face with somebody who's specially trained and and helping them with a multisensory structured language program and. That can be done online, but it's you know it's a little bit more challenging, and and uh, particularly for kids who struggle with um, attention deficits. And so you know having all the supports of the classroom and the environment, I think, goes a long way. But then of course you know we also have met kids along the way who really love distance learning, and it works for them for any number of reasons. And so you know the ones who have remained in distance learning, it's you know yes, there's obviously health reasons typically driving that decision, but but it also seems to be working for them well. We had a couple conversations with families who, you know, there was no health reason for them not returning to campus, but they had initially sort of wanted to stay there because it just was working out well for their family, for their schedule, for for that child. So, you know, I think it's sort of the, the ethos of the school. It just sort of manifests that, you know, everybody's different and that we all learn differently, and, and so, you know, one size isn't going to fit all even, even in person.
0: You educate a broad spectrum of students, you know, on, on the gifted side, you know, those that are dealing with dyslexia uh, and other, you know, language sensory issues. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you've even got some kids that are on the autism spectrum. What have we learned from this pandemic when it comes to those students with special needs? Well, I
5: hope one of the things that we've learned as a society at large is the role that teachers and educators play in society at large, not just for our kids, but what they do for all of us. I think that, Hopefully we have all have a greater appreciation for, for schools and for teachers. I, I think specifically for kids who learn differently, I mean, I think you said it really well. I mean, I, I think, you know, at the heart of our program is accepting and affirming that kids learn differently and that, you know, they're going to need a, a much more individualized approach. We're going to have to meet them where they are and grow from there. And I think that the pandemic has forced other schools to adopt more of that philosophy. I I think, I hope, um, you know, that that we have to really tailor it to that child and where that child is in in the particular moment. And I also hope, you know, that one of the things that, that assets that we strive for is because we know that kids are often coming, you know, because let's say reading is challenging. And so they need, you know, help learning how to read. Um, But we try to spend as much time in what they're great at and what their gifts are and really develop those muscles and let them exercise those muscles as much as as the areas that are a challenge because that helps build their resiliency. And I think, you know, I I like to hope that education has gained a greater appreciation of that too through the distance learning, that, you know, kids need time with other kids, the social-emotional part of learning, but also that they need to be, finding sort of seeds of strength for themselves and not just focus solely on what may come more challenging.
0: And there's so many families that, uh, you know, suffered because of the pandemic, Uh, not just, you know, the health side, but also the economic side. They may have lost jobs. They may have had their child enrolled at assets. And I know you folks offer financial aid. Uh, for students there. But h- have you seen a drop-off of your enrollment?
5: Yeah, we did see a, a small a small decrease at the beginning of the school year. A lot of our families were hit hard, you know, who were small business owners or who were furloughed. And, and you're right, the school has a strong commitment to financial aid. And even with that, some families made the choice that you know, this was a year where, because of how much uncertainty there was in the world and in, in, in their their economic outlook. They thought maybe they often homeschool. We had a lot of families leave us for homeschooling for the year. Our financial aid requests have gone up, um, not surprisingly. We, you know, despite our strong commitment, we have a number of families who continue to need financial aid. And, you know, that's something that, you know, pre-pandemic was a real core value for the school. We, we recognize that, that every parent needs a school that where they feel like their child is understood and accepted and affirmed and where they thrive and you know that's that tends to be even more so for kids who learn differently because they're so so often misunderstood and so we never want costs to be preventing you from getting to the school or staying at the school once you found it and you loved it and you know you, your kids finally getting what they need and so um, we're trying everything we can to to make sure that we help as many families as possible every year we have a an annual gala that's exclusively for financial aid. The last two years, we obviously couldn't host it in person, and so last year was—you know—we went virtual, and we really appreciate everybody in the community who helped us with that first virtual event. And you know, we used that money right away—you know, straight for financial aid. And then this year, we are doing the same, where there is a virtual auction. Um, there are things at different price points: vacations, art, jewelry, um, some sports memorabilia, stuff like that. We'll have a live stream event, but then this year we, I think, the pandemic, we've learned that you know things can get stale pretty quickly as everybody starts to do them. And so, one of the things that we that we thought would be a, a great celebration was we we produced a one-hour TV show that aired on uh, Hawaii News Now, and that was really we're celebrating 65 years this year, and so that was a real source of of light and joy for us amidst a uh, really tough year. And so, the TV special is a uh, It's often students and alumni and parents and trustees sharing their journeys to assets and why they continue to stay at assets and what it's meant to them in their lives and to our community. And so it's been, um, like I said, just a real celebration of of who we serve and the work that we do. And and then it also mentions the auction. So um, certainly we welcome anybody who's still interested in in helping our school and making sure that families are able to afford the school um, to check out our auction.
0: And so this program will live on your website so that folks who want to know more about the school and its mission can just go online. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
5: Assets-school.org. You can go there and we have messages that will easily navigate you to the auction site or to the, the program. The TV show obviously is the most ambitious thing we've done um, mm-hmm. in terms of media, but we do have commercials. We had commercials leading up to it. We have a couple other standalone commercials that highlight open house opportunities Mm -hmm. so we've we've hosted several virtual open houses we have one coming up actually um, april 24th and those have been really neat because we've been getting obviously people here locally in hawaii but we've also been getting people from different parts of the country who are considering a move to hawaii and and, um, know that their child learns differently we also have summer so we've we've been trying to share i should say some of those other programs summer programs open houses in addition to just helping more people understand who we are and who we serve
0: that was Ryan Moss, the head of Asset School, talking about marking its 65th anniversary. For links to its ongoing fundraising un- online auction, you can head to our website.
2: Support for HPR comes from Diamond Head Theatre. The Lady with All the Answers portrays advice columnist Ann Landers, whose daily dialogue helped shape America's social landscape. Opens this Friday, tickets at DiamondheadTheater.com.
0: We're all of ti- out of time today. Tomorrow we hear about efforts to clean up Maui's Ma'alaya Bay as we mark Earth Day later this week. Do you have a story idea to share with us? Call or talk back line 808 792 8217. Tweet us at HI Conversation. Head to our Facebook page. And remember, all of our shows are archived. Find them on the conversation page at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation.